Good morning. It is snowy and cold and beautiful, and it's beginning to look a lot like... Yes! Thank you for being here. Turn to your neighbor and high-five him and say, hey, good job for you being here on a snowy Sunday. You're supposed to remember all of that. <laughs> hey, thank you for joining us today. We're continuing on in our series called The Star. Last week, we uh, told a story about uh, some, some cross-country runners in the state of New Mexico that were competing for the state championship for cross country. They were both going for the, uh, the first place medal as any runner would, but it really boiled down to two runners, a kid from PV, his name's Tristan, and a kid from Clovis High School, his name's Derek, and they were neck and neck in this race in the state championship for 5A for high school. Final three yards, PV pushes ahead, he beats the kid from, uh, from Clovis High School and he wins the first place. However, there's a computer glitch, in the computer glitch uh, with the, the chips that were in their shoes, it registered the kid from Clovis as being the winner instead of the kid from PV. Uh, and so they got their awards. Clovis kid got his first place award when he actually got second place. The kid from PV got his second place award when he actually got first place. And they all went their separate ways until the footage came out. The photos of the photo finish were relinquished. They were, they were, they were presented and the kid from Clovis realized he didn't actually get first, he got second. So he gave up his award, he gave up his medal, he gave it back to the NMAA and the NMAA, the New Mexico Athletics Association, showed up this last Friday, two days ago, to Piedra Vista High School to present the award to Tristan for actually winning first place. I showed up to the high school and I was like, I want to see this presentation of the award and I pulled out my phone and I recorded it so I could share that moment with you as well. Check out this video of Tristan getting the first place medal. <laughs> video is that being in the presence of, I don't know, a thousand students or so, when he was awarded for doing the right thing, for getting the first place, but, but acting with class, and as they, as they talked about the kid from Clovis as well, it was a standing ovation from high school students. They all stood up and they clapped and they cheered and they hooted and they hollered, and it was a beautiful moment of people cheering on two runners who did the right thing. What a refreshing thing that is to hear youth in our community applauding other people for doing the right thing. It was an amazing 
amazing moment. So, so the question that I asked last week was, who's the star of that story? The kid from PV, the kid from Clovis. Perhaps they're both stars in the story. Well, that led to a similar question. Who is the star of the Christmas story? Of course, Jesus is the star of the Christmas story, right? Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason we celebrate. Christmas is about Christ. But as as we explored the story last week, there's many people in the Christmas story similar uh, that that have have a a strong role in the Christmas story. One of those people is Abraham. Going back to the Old Testament, the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus, Abraham was a guy who chose to trust in God, and because he was obedient to God, because he passed the test, he was blessed with a son in Isaac. And because Isaac had a son, who had a son, who had a son, who had a son, many generations later, from Abraham to, to David, there's 14 generations. From David to the exile, there's 14 generations. From exile to Jesus, there's 14 generations. If you add it all up, from Abraham to Jesus, there's 42 generations. But had, had Abraham not been obedient, had he not trusted God during the test, perhaps he wouldn't have had a son, but perhaps we wouldn't have had a savior. He paved the way. Jesus is the reason for the season for Christmas, but had it not been for Abraham, perhaps Jesus never would have been born in the first place. There's other people in this Christmas story that are worth mentioning, even though Jesus is the star today. This morning we're going to look at another person in the the Christmas story that's also worth mentioning. Uh, And this one's going to be at the, the, the end of the genealogy. Abraham is at the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus. At the very end, we see a line, Matthew 1, 16. Here's the end. After 42 generations from Abraham moving forward to Jesus. Here's the end of the genealogy. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, there's four people listed in that last line of the genealogy. There's Jacob, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Now, we're not going to talk about Jacob this morning, but we are going to talk about the other three. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And that's where we're going to jump in. We're going to specifically hone in on Joseph and Mary as it relates to the Christmas story. And Mary, we see an account in the book of Luke, and Joseph, we see the account in the book of Matthew. So we're going to start off with Mary in the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now let me stop there and address those last five words that I just read. The Lord is with you. Those are significant, powerful words. Now, why are they significant? Why are they powerful? It's because God made them significant. He made them powerful. When Mary was born, centuries before that, God would tell his people, I am with you. The Lord is with you. God is with you. Over and over and over throughout history, we see in the Old Testament scriptures, God frequently reminds his people, I am with you. Look at these, a couple of these verses. God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10, he says, do not fear for what? I am with you. Say it a little bit louder. Do not fear for what? Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and what? Will be with you. Joshua 1.9. God says to Moses and to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God, what? will be with you wherever you go. We see throughout scripture over and over and over and over, God says the Lord's with you, God's with you, I am with you. I'm with you not just just sometimes, I'm with you wherever you go, no matter what you go through. This is something that God wants to get through to his people. He wants to get through to you and I. If you're taking notes, you can write this down this morning. God wants you to know he's with you wherever you go. 
God wants you to know he's with you wherever you go. He says this over and over and over throughout scripture to help remind us he's with us wherever we go. No matter what we go through, even during our most difficult moments, he's right there alongside us. This angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. <laughs> this is something that's been shared for centuries. And even though those are comforting words, Mary is a little bit freaked out. The next verse, Luke 1.29. Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I cut Mary a little bit of slack here that she's greatly troubled at these words. Now, granted, the Lord being with you, that's comforting. It should be comforting. But she's probably a little bit freaked out because there's an angel sitting in her living room. That's not normal. If you were to leave and go home from church this morning and you show up in your living room and there's an angel perched on top of your Christmas tree <laughs> and starts talking with you, you probably would be a little bit freaked out. So I understand, I can understand uh, Mary being a little bit concerned, a little bit freaked out, but it does say she wondered what kind of greeting this was. So that tells me and indicates she's at least curious. She's a little bit freaked out, but she's, she's curious, what is this angel going to say? I'm open-minded. My heart's going to be open for whatever God might have to say to me through this angel. So we continue on in the story. Verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. <clears throat> As opposed to, I'm going to strike you down and you're going to get struck with lightning or something like that. You have found favor, Mary, with God. You don't have to be afraid. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, let me again stop there and talk about those last five words that I just read. Son of the Most High. Those last two words, Most High, was a nickname for God. Again, for centuries prior to Mary's birth, people oftentimes would refer to God as Most High. Perhaps because other people in other cultures wor worshipped other gods. The Greek gods, Zeus, and the God of the sun, the God of the water, the God of the fire. Other people would worship other gods. And so to preface, when other people in the Old Testament were talking about God, oftentimes they would say, this is the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Jacob, the God that is Most High. No matter what God you think you worship, no matter what gods are out there, this is the ultimate authority God. Over and over through the Old, uh, Old Testament, we see people referring to God as the Most High. For example, Genesis 14, 22. Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. You ever wonder when you're watching like Judge Judy? <laughs> <laughs> or some sort of criminal crime show. When people come to the stand and they're, they're told, raise your hand, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth so help you? Why do they say that? It comes back all the way to Genesis 14 when Abram did this. This is something we people have been doing for centuries. Raise your hand and swear. Make an oath to God. He says, I'm making an oath to God most high. To clarify which God that I'm making an oath to. Abram's not the only one. Daniel, book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 2. Daniel says this. He says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. Look at what David says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 57, 2. He says, I cry out to the God most most high. Over and over and over, we see through scripture that God's nickname is most high. They clarify, this is the God of all gods. There are no other gods. He is the God most high to clarify who it is that they're talking about. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Nobody can deny that God is the most high. Nobody can deny that God is the most high, especially when you see it, God, God at work in the hearts and lives of people. God has the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate. He is the ultimate being 
entity, no matter what other people worship, no matter what other gods that they have, he is the most high. So this angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord's with you, and you're going to have a son, and he's the son of the most high. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. In other words, what the angel is saying is you're about to give birth to the son of God. Wow. What an announcement. Not only that she's pregnant, but she finds out she's going to give birth to the son of God. That's incredible news for her. Verse 32. The angel continues on. He says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now again, let me talk about those five words. His kingdom will never end. Here's the spoiler alert. Jesus wins. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the enemy might be tempting you with. Maybe he's trying to draw you to do something that you're not supposed to be doing. Maybe he's trying to tempt you. Maybe he's trying to, to convince you to do something. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you're engaged in some sort of sin. But here's the, here's the reality. The enemy, no matter how crafty he is, no matter how deceitful he is, he's not going to win. Jesus' kingdom will never end. It never is going to go away. In the end, Jesus wins. The enemy is going to do everything he possibly can to lure you, to trick you, to deceive you, to put, drag you away and entice you. However, Jesus in the end and wins. Even Jesus himself says in, in later on when he was an adult, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In the end, his kingdom will never end. It's never going to go away. We are a part of a group, a movement, a church, an ecclesia. We are a part of a group that's never going to stop. It hasn't ever stopped for centuries and it's not going to ever stop till the day he comes back. This is going to be an amazing arrival of the, Jesus. His kingdom will never end even into an eternity. His kingdom will never end. Friends, it doesn't matter what you're tempted with. It doesn't matter how, how luring those temptations are from the enemy. Jesus wins. And Gabriel, this angel, shows up to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You're about to give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. And his kingdom will never end. Mary replies back, 34, verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High, again, the power of God, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called, now he just flat out says it, the Son of God. Now, there's no question. This is significant. This is incredible news. But this isn't what Mary planned on. This wasn't a part of her journey in life that she thought was going to take place. Yet that being said, look at verse 38. Mary answers and says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now, this is incredible news that Mary has just heard. This has been news that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. And then the angel says, you who are highly favored, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. This is significant to her. As my dad would say, this is history in the making that she is a part of. She gets to be a part of history in the making. This is something that God's been talking about and prophesying about for hundreds of years. And now I'm selected. Mary, what she knows is that she's not responsible for anybody else. She's just responsible for her own reaction. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She can say that for herself. What she can't say that for is Joseph. She doesn't know how Joseph's going to react. She doesn't know what Joseph's response is going to be. She can say, may your will be done in my life, God. 
but she can't make that decision for her husband, Joseph. So let's see what his reaction was. If you're following along in your, in your notes or your Bible, turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew. Again, the book of Luke is where we see the most of the details regarding Mary's response. In the book of Matthew, we see Joseph's response. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's the whole, the whole story we just read from the book of Luke. Now, what we don't see in Scripture that I wish we did, we don't see it in any of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is how Mary told Joseph. How did she break the news that she was pregnant? We, we don't see that. I, I wish that we did because I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall when she walks in. She's like, hey, honey, guess what? I'm pregnant and it's not yours. It's the Holy Spirit. I would have loved to have seen Joseph's reaction to that. Recently, I came across some photos on the internet of people that, that broke the news to family members or friends, and, and, and they broke the news of their pregnancy in a creative way. For example, look at this photo of this, this, uh, this guy. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a great picture. Here's another one. Guess who's pregnant? I don't know if you could tell. Like The guy's you know, uber big with his belly. Here's another picture. Bump ahead. I think that's pretty creative. <laughs> She's He's got a bump coming up. Look at this one. Player one, player two, and then player three is loading. I, I love that. This one, you get it? Ice, ice, baby. Da, na, 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 na. <laughs> also funny. Oh, let me read this one. Congratulations, Roy and Christy. Baby on board, but they're not telling yet. <laughs> you just got outed by whatever, whatever that hotel was or whatever. We're expecting, he says on the left, twins, says on the right. <laughs> So funny. This is the last one. Eviction notice. There's a picture of the ultrasound down there. She's getting kicked out of the crib. <laughs> those, are, those are all funny, creative ways to announce a, a pregnancy and to tell people, to tell the world that they're pregnant. I don't know what Mary said to Joseph, but perhaps this photo would have been their photo and their announcement. <laughs> Maybe that would be Joseph laid out on the ground. We don't know. We don't know what Mary said. What we do know is that Mary probably said, I'm pregnant, and she probably said, it's the Holy Spirit, it's not yours. And the reason we know that is because what we see in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19, it's Joseph's response. Here's his response. Matthew 1 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. Now why would he divorce her? He's going to divorce her because he didn't believe her. He didn't believe her story that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. In fact, quite frankly, he probably feels wronged, not on just one account, but two accounts from Mary. Just think about this for a second. He, he's probably thinking, you know, here my wife-to-be, she went out and cheated on me, and she got pregnant. So, so not only have I been wronged with that, but then when she's talking to me about it, she's telling me that it's the Holy Spirit. Like she's not even taking ownership for what she did wrong. She's lying about it. So she, not only did she sneak around my back and she cheated on me, but now she's not even being truthful about it. He's probably feeling wronged on, on two counts instead of just one. Yet that being said, Joseph knows he's only responsible for himself. He's not responsible for Mary and her actions and what she does. He's only responsible for him. So even though he probably feels he's been wronged, he's been lied to, he's been cheated on, he, he has the perspective of, you know what, I'm going to do the noble thing. I'm going to divorce her discreetly, but it's because I want to save her from public disgrace. That is not normal, is it? Somebody cheats on somebody else, a spouse cheats on another person, and the person that's been cheated on 
Oh, I want to get you back. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you back. I'm going to hurt you. You've hurt me, so I'm going to make it hurt even more for you. I'm taking the house. I'm taking the kids. I'm taking the custody. I'm taking the cars. I'm taking, I'm taking your pay. I'm going to do everything I can to get back at you because you hurt me first. Or they, they take that, you know, Carrie Underwood song. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. <laughs> Carved my name into his leather seats. He took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think. What's the next line? Before he cheats. <laughs> Many people are like that. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to make him pay. I'm going to make her pay. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make them feel the weight. I'm going to make them think before they cheat again. That's how many people are, but not Joseph. Joseph's like, no, I've been wronged. I'm hurt. She cheated on me. She's lying to me, but I'm going to I'm going to not drag her name through the mud. I'm going to divorce her discreetly and quietly because I don't want to subject her to public disgrace. Perhaps there's a lesson for some people in here regarding just that part of the story. Joseph is he's considering divorcing her, being done with her, until the angel shows up to Joseph. Same angel that showed up to Mary shows up to Joseph. Matthew 1, verse 20. After Joseph had considered divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, this is significant news to Joseph, because not only does he discover that really and truly that his, his bride-to-be is pregnant, but she wasn't lying to him. She hadn't cheated on him. She, she was trust, trustworthy. She did have character. She did have integrity. Verse 21, the angel continues. The angel says to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Now it's worth mentioning because sometimes people in their faith, they, they see people like Joseph and they see people like Mary and they're like, wow, they, were must, they must have been really special people. So sometimes people in their faith, they pray to Joseph, they pray to Mary and they, they ask other people who are deceased or other saints and they, they pray to them. But, but Gabriel, Gabriel calls it from the very beginning in verse 20, 21. He says, Jesus is the one who has the power. Jesus is the one who is the son of the most high. He's the son of God. He's the one that will save people from their sins. So this angel shows up to, to Joseph and says, hey, your wife's not lying. She's not crazy. She's not making it up. She didn't cheat on you. She's not, she's not somebody who's shady. She's not lying to you. She's not deceiving you. She really is pregnant. And what's inside her really is from the Holy Spirit. And all this takes place in a dream for Joseph. And then boom, he wakes up. Verse 24 is when he wakes up. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Now what a gift that was to Mary. Because here's the reality, friends. Joseph didn't have to believe the angel. When Joseph woke up, he didn't have to obey what God said. God said, take Mary as your wife. But he didn't have to do that. We have the free agency. We have the freedom of choice to listen to God or not, to be obedient or not. He didn't have to go home and take her as his wife, but he chose to. When he woke up, he obeyed God. When he woke up, he was obedient to God. When he woke up, he was faithful to God. When he woke up, he trusted God. When he woke up, he believed God. And he went home and he took Mary as his wife. What a gift that was to Mary. But quite frankly, what a gift that was to you and to I. Because can you imagine? Can you imagine had he not done that? 
You know, a lot of people in their revenge trying to get back at somebody, they want to do everything they can. They want to carve the name into the side of the pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. They want to get back and we get revenge. But, but 2,000 years ago, it was, a significant, uh, it was a significant deterrent to cheat on your spouse. Because 2,000 years ago, if a woman cheated on the husband, if the wife cheated on the husband, it was punishable by death. Joseph could have killed her. He could have done away with her altogether. Not only did he choose to, when he woke up, he chose to obey God. He chose to go home and take Mary as his wife. Now, Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the star of the Christmas story. But there's something to be said for Mary and her obedience to the angel. And there's something to be said for Joseph and his willingness to go home and obey God. It leads me to this question, friends. What do you need to obey? What's at stake if you don't wake up? Perhaps you need to wake up and be obedient to what the the Lord has called you to do. Perhaps you need to wake up and trust God. Perhaps you need to wake up and believe God. Perhaps you need to wake up and realize God has a plan for your life. And there's many times people that are like, I know what God wants me to do. He's told me here and here and here and here. He's told me many different times what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to do it. I, I know what I'm, I'm called to do, but I don't know if I have enough faith and, and enough trust in God. Had Joseph not followed through, had he not woken up, awakened, had he not woke up and obeyed God, things would be different for billions of people. What's at stake if you don't wake? What's at stake if you don't wake up? What's at stake for your marriage? If you don't wake up and obey God to do what God's called you to do, what's at stake for your, for your, your wife? What's at stake for your husband? What's at stake for your finances? What's at stake for your kids? If you don't wake up and obey God, if you don't wake up and trust God, if you're not obedient, if you're not faithful to God, what's at stake for your legacy? If you don't wake up. In the New Testament, Paul at one point challenges the church. He recognizes that people within the church had fallen asleep. They'd, they'd gotten lazy. They'd gotten apathetic. And they stopped following after Jesus. And here's the challenge that he gives the church of Ephesus. Ephesians 5.14. Paul says, he says, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some of us need to wake up. If Jesus were to come and grab you by the shoulders right now and say, hey, slap you across the face. Hey, wake up. What would he telling you, be telling you to wake up from? What has he been telling you over and over and over? What are you convicted about that you're not being obedient to? If you were to wake up, wake up and be obedient, what would he ask you to be obedient to? I think deep down in your heart, in your mind, you know that answer. Perhaps you need to be like Jesus. Perhaps you need to be somebody who is offering grace and offering understanding. Perhaps you need to be a little bit more like Joseph, however. And choose to be somebody who says, you know what, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to obey. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to trust. I'm going to wake up and believe that God has a plan for my life. I'm going to wake up and take action. What's at stake if you don't wake up? Listen to the words of this song.